0: All right, welcome to module six, part two, podcast. So we are in chapter 27. We're on page 509 and we're the heading tuberculosis. Like I said in podcast one. So we need to each disease process we're gonna talk about, you need to know how to care for the patient. Knowing how to care for the patient includes a few things knowing what the disease process is understanding a basic pathophysiology knowing about risk factors how to prevent it Um, also knowing about um, basic pathophysiology being able to explain it to the patient um, what signs and symptoms How would you know if your patient's getting better? How would you know if your patient's getting worse, getting worse? We talk about the complications that can come. So are there labs that go along with it? Are there diagnostic studies? That's all part of your assessment. Um, And then the care you need to give. So what does the nurse need to plan for, um, for their care? Um, And then interventions that the nurse would anticipate that would include drugs. So what drugs would they give? So knowing information about the medication, um, what does the nurse need to know before they give it, what do they need to monitor for after, what teaching needs to be done for the drug. So all of that drug information you bring forward from farm. Um, And then other interventions, what do you need to teach what do you need to do? How often do you need to do assessments? What are some other things you might have to have the patient do um, in order to take good care of them? And then lastly, evaluation. So how do you know your patient's getting better? So going through the nursing process. That's what this course is about how do I take care of patients with whatever disease process. So we start with tuberculosis on page 509. So you need to know what tuberculosis is. You need to know the risk factors. So who's at most risk for TB? Then we move on to um, the pathophysiology. So understanding the organism that causes it and then basic understanding of what's happening in the body. That's on page 510. Then you need to know um, the difference between an active um, TB infection and then a latent TB infection. So it's latent means someone does not have um, active disease, but they have a positive skin test, but they're asymptomatic. um, So that we would need to treat both. So clinical manifestations of of active TB need to know those signs and symptoms. you need to understand um, complications that could have, and really the complication I want you to know is that if people don't take their medications like they're supposed to, it can ch- it can change into a drug resistant TB, which is very very dangerous. Uh, you need to know how to read a skin test, how you would identify if it's positive. Um, Q- Quadrifuron Gold is a blood test that they can do. X-rays um, will tell you, um, will support if they see something on it. So sometimes we do chest X-rays as a backup, but not the main test. If they get someone gets a, um, a skin test that is positive, they're gonna be doing an X-ray. And then you're going to get a culture. So you're going to get um, AFB cultures, So acid-based, fast bacillus um, studies also to uh, diagnose TB. Then we move on to interprofessional care. And so it starts talking a lot about medications. So knowing that there are different drug combinations that they are giving for active TB versus latent TB. So, if you see on table twenty seven twelve you can see that there's there 's different stages there 's an initial phase and then there 's a a maintenance stage and they 're getting more than one drug. This is to help prevent multi drug resistant t b um, you want to know some of these medications have some pretty pretty wacky side effects, so you want to know about that you want to know about the fact that Reframpin can, you know, change their body fluids to orange. That's important to do teaching. You need to know that a lot of these are going to cause liver toxicity. So knowing the signs of hepatitis, knowing that um, we need to be watching their liver levels. We need to tell them not to drink alcohol when they're on these medications. And also knowing how difficult compliance is because they have to be on it for a long period of time. Then we move on to the bottom of 513. Bacillus calmette garin vaccine, so the BCG vaccine, knowing that that's a live vaccine that's given um, in different parts of the world where TB is highly prevalent, it's not used in the US. But that you, if you meet someone that has had that BCG um, vaccine, they may taste positive for um, TB on a skin test, they will have to have follow-up chest x-rays to monitor. Then we're moving on to page 514 that goes through the nursing management of someone with TB, Um, knowing that we want to prevent TB, very important. Um, But if you need to know what to do for a patient that might walk into your ER with Signs of TB, so understanding that we need to put them in airborne precautions immediately. So know what airborne precautions is, know uh, what room they're supposed to be in, know about, hmm, what about the air exchanges in that room? What is that called? you have to know all of that, knowing that they're supposed to, how they're supposed to take care of their secretions. And then moving on to ambulatory care, that they're gonna be going home, you need to understand about how many cultures they're going to get, how to minimize exposures to other people, um, and that they, uh, the health department has to be notified if someone has a positive TB and the community health nurse will be following up. And knowing that if people refuse or, first you need to ask them about how they're taking their medications, if you still are having positive AFB smears um, to make sure maybe they didn't understand it. And then you're going to try and you know teach them to make sure that they understand how important compliance is. Um, and if that doesn't work, they may need direct observed therapy called DOT, which means someone watches them swallow the pill. All right, so now we're going to move on. So we skip a lot. And remember, if we're skipping it, you're gonna get it somewhere else in another course. So we're skipping ahead over a lot of things until we get to plural effusion. So that is under the heading plural effusion on page 531, knowing that it's an abnormal collection of fluid. Um, so I want you to know that uh, a thoracentesis, which is on page 530, might be used to kind of pull that fluid off. Uh, you need to know as the nurse that what I do I need to monitor for um, if someone's when someone's having a thoracentesis and after it. On In this course we do not talk about chest tubes. That's coming in the future. So I do need you to know about pleural effusion and thoracentesis but that's where we stop. You'll learn about the Fun things called chest tubes in another course. Then, in the middle of 531, there's a tiny little bo- a tiny area called atelectasis. Um, you already know everything you need to know about atelectasis, right? Because you learned that about post-op complication. So just bring that knowledge forward. Know how we can prevent atelectasis. And then we are done with chapter 27. Now we move on to chapter 28. So the first disease process we run into is asthma. So know what asthma is. Understand triggers for asthma attacks. I do not want you to memorize all of the possible triggers, but um, similar to what I asked you to know about the triggers of rhinitis, I want you to have an understanding of what some triggers can be for asthma attacks so go ahead and look at that you look at table 28-1 tells you a lot of them but like i said do not write this all down just have an understanding and we'll have a discussion about them know a basic understanding of the patho that's going on with asthma can you explain the disease to the patient should always be your goal then starting on the page of four five uh, forty. 540- Starting on page 545, sorry about that, under the heading Clinical Manifestations, know the signs, and, the signs and symptoms of an asthma attack. Very important. Also, there's a safety alert in the middle of page 545 about silent chest. That's essential to know. Essential. So when you have someone who's been wheezing and really working hard, and then there's an absence of the wheeze. That's not a good sign. That's a sign that you're really in trouble. Um, then you can move on to the complications. You need to know about status asthmaticus, that that's life-threatening. That's a, a, a asthma attack we can't stop. Um, and so we have to, um, our goal is to just keep working to stop it. We're gonna see an example of status asthmaticus in a video in class that'll help you understand that. Diagnostic studies. Um, so the diagnostic studies section is going to talk about spirometry. I really want you to focus on peak flow meter. So knowing what a peak flow meter is, um, and that we use, we teach patients to use that to help um, manage their disease. So we move on to page five. Forty-seven, the interprofessional care. So it's going to go through all the things we do for a patient who's having asthma. So you need to understand what's the difference between um, the drugs we would give for an asthma attack. So those are going to be, you know, short-acting um, medicines to stop the. Um, asthma attack versus the long acting. Your long acting are your control meds. So when you think about the medications for asthma control, you want the patient to be on something that helps prevent asthma attacks. So those are our controller meds. And there could be a couple different ones that patients could be on. Um, They could be on bronchodilators. They could be on um, allergy. Uh, medications they could be on um, uh, leukotriene modifiers so there's all kinds of medicines they could be on but so understand they could be on oh, long-acting coical steroids that they either inhale um, so knowing the difference between short-acting and long-term and long-acting, knowing that when someone's having an asthma attack, we're giving them the short-acting. That's what we need to give them, which is your albuterol. So review that medication about whatever areas that you um, need to review. Bring that drug information forward from your farm class, and also know that you you know knowing about that we give medications. We're giving a lot of inhalers, so the use of a spacer with a metered dose inhaler, um, and then if you move on to page five, five fifty four. You see directions of how to take uh, a meter dose inhalers. Nebulizers are going to be used. Um, you're going to see, especially with your albuterol. Um, If they're hospitalized, you're going to see nebulizers more often. They can also have those at home. And you also can see they may use dry powder inhalers, so DPIs, and there's a figure 28.8 that shows someone taking that. So review your medication and then review what do we need to teach our patients about medicines, which is on the bottom of 555, patient teaching related to drug therapy then we move on to our nursing management. So knowing that, um, what's the plan? So if you see on page 557, the asthma action plan, there's a nice example there, figure 289. So take a look at that. Also, if you wanna look at table 2813, the patient teaching of how to use a a peak flow meter, we're gonna really focus on in class looking about the green zone, yellow zone, and red zone. So that based on, you know, we want people to be in the green zone. That means no symptoms are present, they just keep taking their controller medicines and keep going. If they're in the yellow zone, means they need to take their short-acting um, inhaler, and they need to not do taxing activity. And hopefully, they get back in the green. And then they're in red; they need to take their albuterol inhaler and get themselves to the emergency room because they are at risk for going into status asthmaticus, you know, having an allergy attack that they can't stop. Um, acute care, um, when we go back on page 556, so how we're gonna take care of people, how often we're going to assess, gonna make sure that they get their medication as needed. Per slip breathing, which is in table 2812, the patient teaching, we're going to talk about per-slip breathing when we talk about COPD, which is next. So I would review that chart to make sure you understand how you could teach someone to do per-slip breathing. And then talking about how to teach patients about how to take care of themselves at home. And remember, it's all about how do we prevent them from having an asthma attack. Then on page 560, we move to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And then there's a definition of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease COPD. Then there are a sentence about chronic bronchitis, so know what that is, and then emphysema. So understand um, what those two things are. They used to be included in the previous definition of COPD. So you're going to hear about terms like chronic bronchitis and emphysema, so it's good to have an understanding of what that is. You want to know what the risk factors are for COPD, then you're going to move on to 561 and know have a basic understanding of the pathophysiology can I explain the disease to the patient. Then you're going to look at the clinical manifestations, the signs and symptoms of COPD. The complications we're gonna just touch on, knowing that the complication of of core pulmonol, we're just gonna touch on that, that that can be right-sided heart failure that can come from um, a complication of COPD. Acute exacerbation of COPD is on page 564, so this is important to know, what do I do for that patient that comes in? What are they gonna look like? What signs and symptoms? And what are the things that I have to do to keep them safe? We're trying to prevent these patients from going into acute respiratory failure. Then the diagnostic studies is on page 565. Um, you're going to see things like spirometry, which you, um, which we talked a little bit back about um, in asthma. So they'll have pulmonary function tests. They could have ABGs. And knowing that in COPD, um, if they have ABGs drawn, that person in acute exacerbation, they're going to be in respiratory acidosis. We're moving on to page 565 you can see at the top of table 2817 there's a little summary of the things that you might do so the diagnostic assessment and some of the management things we would do with COPD we're going to f- emphasize st- smoking sensation which is on the top of 566 drug therapy drugs some of the drugs we use are going to be similar as the drugs used with asthma so review the use of um, what medications bronchodilators and these cocoa steroids um then you're going to talk we're going to talk a little bit about oxygen we have to make sure that our patients are not have do not have hypoxia. So we're going to use the smallest amount of oxygen they need to get the most out of it. So whether you just know that your patient, not every person that has um, COPD is going to have this issue with oxygen, and you're not all going to know who's retaining the CO2 and who's not. Um, but you do want to make sure that the patients are not hypoxic so that their oxygen levels are not too low and they have enough oxygen, but we're just going to be careful and not be turning very high levels of oxygen on. That's what I, the takeaway is, you know, if the person's about to go into respiratory failure, you may have to put a hundred percent non-rebreather on them until someone comes and maybe this patient needs to be, um, intubated, um, or there's a discussion that this is end of life because we can't fix COPD, um, but we're gonna, I want you to know that we're gonna use the smallest amount of oxygen to get the greatest benefit. I want you to to move on, there's a whole review of oxygen administration, which you've had before. You can move on to the bottom of 570, breathing retraining, lip breathing. So make sure that you review that. Oxygen, home oxygen safety. Um, huff coughing, which is on the top of page um, 571, table 2821. That they may do um, chest phys- physiotherapy on where they actually use their hands, they cup their hands to try and break up the mucus. They may use percussions. You often will see people use an airway clearance device, so if you turn to page 572, figure 2815, that's an acapella airway clearance, so they can use that and it kind of helps to break up some of those secretions. COPD patients have lots of nutritional um, challenges. So on page 572 under nutritional therapy, um, knowing that we have to conserve energy and prevent shortness of breath. So have to they're, they're using so much energy just to breathe. We need to have them have maybe six small meals a day. We need them to um, have supplements. Um, patients being underweight is a... a a frequent problem um so we're gonna you know we're going to encourage them to have high protein high calorie snacks try and gain their weight and then we're going to move on to page 573 so that's going through the nursing process um, knowing the goals for your patient health promotion smoking stop smoking and always important for them to stop smoking Um, even if they've smoked for for years and years, it will help their disease. It'll help relieve some of their disease process. So it's not going to cure it, but they may not be as short of breath. Moving on to page 574, um, we kind of already talked about acute exacerbations. So I want you to think about activity considerations. These patients are going to be Um, need to talk about how to conserve energy. They're going to get short of breath very often. Um, So planning their activity. We do want them to exercise. So we do want them to walk, and that's going to help build their endurance, but they may need to go to some pulmonary rehab that will help them build up that, slowly build up um, their endurance for exercise. Um, it's very challenging to have COPD. Sometimes your patients can have um, some depression because they're just so short of breath, um, and so they may need to talk to someone, um, a counselor, to help with coping. Moving on to the on the bottom of page 575 sexuality and sexual activity we want to help them think about when to have sex that they want to do it when they have been resting um, when their breathing is best maybe they can take um, an inhaled bronchodilator when they're short acting before they have sex using lip breathing during sex and then certain positions are going to be a little easier and sleep um Knowing that it's sometimes it's very hard for them to sleep um and so thinking about maybe they might even need to sleep kind of propped up um and so that can that can be a challenge and then end of life unfortunately, there is no cure to c o p d um and there'll be just you have to have the the doctor will have discussions with them about what do they want at the end of their life. Um, And that can be really hard because it's really hard to say, I don't want to be intubated. When you know, if you're not intubated, you will die. Then we move to our very last thing we're going to talk about on page 580, bronchiolysis. So know what bronchiolysis is um, and know the hallmark manifestations and know that what to do. When no know when to call the doctor, <laughs> so my big thing about it is when do I call the doctor, so I want you to focus on that, so knowing the nursing care and really knowing when do i what, what what when something happens, you need to call the doctor, and when is that and then that is the end woo of Module six. Hopefully, this helped bring out some of the important things again, remember. I, you, need to, it, you need to ask yourself, can I walk in the room and care for somebody with this disease? So that's the level of knowledge you need about these disease processes is, is could I safely care for someone? Thanks for listening. Have a great day.